to Strike Deck Radio, a podcast focused on customer success and the leaders who are implementing best practices in our field. This podcast is brought to you by Strike Deck and the Success League. Strike Deck is a customer success automation platform that enables CSMs to manage their customer relationships. The Strike Deck solution enables churn prevention, upsells, and customer advocacy. They use machine learning and predictive analytics to bubble up insights and alerts about customer health, sentiment, and engagement. The Success League is a consulting firm focused on customer success. We work with executives who are ready to build and develop a top-performing customer success team that drives retention and revenue for their organization. For more information, you can visit our website at thesuccessleague.io. My name is Kristen Heyer, and I'm the host of Strike Deck Radio and the founder and CEO of the Success League. For over 15 years, I've been a sales, marketing, and customer success executive. My career has primarily focused on early and growth stage tech companies. My company, the Success League, works with organizations of all sizes, both in software as a service and traditional industries. Today, we'll be talking with Lauren Costella, VP of Customer Success for Medrio. She has implemented several CS platforms and will be sharing her approach what worked, what didn't, and how to tackle that very important project in your own organization. So Lauren, thanks for joining us today. Can you share a little bit of background on yourself and on Medrio? Well, hi, Kristen. First and foremost, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here, and I'm really excited to be talking about customer success with you. So let me give you a little bit of background about Medrio. So Medrio helps to save lives, cure disease, improve quality of life by providing data to medical professionals, and speeding up the ability to bring uh, medical products to market um, in a do-it-yourself mode, which is um, cloud electronic data capture. So essentially what we help to do is speed up the process for getting data into the hands of medical professionals um, when otherwise they would have done that kind of data collection on paper. So our software helps to speed that up. People still use paper. People still use paper, believe it or not. (laughs) And for the data... Um, electronic capture systems that do exist, Uh um, they're usually on-premise, and it requires a lot of coding. So by bringing it into the cloud and eliminating the immense amount of coding that happens, Medrio really does help to actually impact lives and get drugs and medical devices into the hands of people quicker, which is super awesome, and it's a great mission to be a part of. Cool. So for a little bit about me, I suppose, um, I consider myself a huge change agent and I'm a zealous advocate, I suppose, for customer success. I think it's a wonderful space to be in. Um, I'm really passionate, mostly about helping customers to be successful because it drives good business. Um, And at the end of the day, I've always been a problem solver, a people person, and I think customer success really embodies those things. Um, So I've used my approach and my passion for this to help drive success for different businesses, Um, but I use my passion to grow the U.S. customer success team at Searchmetrics, um, and that's a content and SEO software platform, and I built that team from the ground up, and now I work um, for Medrio, and I'm the VP of customer success, and we're working on redefining our, our team and our charter, but really our mission is to drive value for customers um, through excellence in our services, products, and different programs. Uh, Prior to customer success, I worked at the Department of Defense. I also worked 
What did you do at the Department of Defense? Can I, I ask? Am yes. I allowed to ask that? I know. Right? <laughs> Everybody asks that, and I always tell them, oh, I can't, I can't say anything. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I actually worked in strategic communications. Okay. So I was developing messaging and um, basically our talking points for different policies that would come out and coordinating that um, with different internal leadership and also rolling those things out to uh, the legislator or Congress and the media, and hopefully the Congress and uh, our legislator before the media, but typically it happened <laughs> the other way around. So um, I had a lot of fun doing that. You take complex policy, break it down into something digestible for folks, um, and it was a really cool experience. So I was there for wow. a couple years. Uh, that would have been a very interesting experience. It was, and it's definitely provided a good foundation, I think, for uh, communication within different organizations, but also with working with with clients in general. Yeah. I think that it's really important skill set to have and also for building teams and cross cross communications in, uh, in organizations to make sure you have the right processes. Um, we had to do a lot of that actually internally within the Department of Defense, so very Great very background cool. for you yeah, to have. Yeah, thank you. Well, so when we started brainstorming some topics for this podcast, right away you mentioned implementing customer success solutions as something you have a lot of passion for and you have a lot of experience with. And so, you know, as, as I was thinking about that, I was, you know, recognizing that a lot of my customers are facing that decision right now and thinking about how they're going to go about doing that and choosing a customer success tool or, you know, kicking off their implementation. So I think this is a very interesting topic that our listeners will be very excited to hear about. So um, first, for those who are newer to customer success, can you define what you mean when you say customer success platform? What are some of those tools and what do they do? Yeah, absolutely. So definitely a big um, passion and, and area of mine and one where I have, I think, a lot of expertise and hopefully people can use some of what I've learned um, to inform themselves and make good choices. So a customer success platform to me is an early warning system to visualize the health of customers. And you use a combination of different data for that. Um, and the reason that you would have a different combination is for your team actually to take action effectively um, because your customer success team is not the only one who's going to be solving problems for your customers. So you're using a combination of different data points within one system um, to take action at the right time. Um, and so this obviously helps to mitigate risk, of course, but mm -hmm. I think uh, it really helps to identify growth opportunities as well for your customers. So a couple of examples, uh, Strike Deck is one, mm -hmm. and, uh, but there are others in the space like Tatango, Gainsight, Amity, Customer Success. Uh, those are all different platforms that provide that. There's also single point solution tools um, that run N NPS types of um, NPS or customer satisfaction types of surveys. Uh, and there's also tools like Zendesk that help to support like the customer support side or ticketing side. Mm -hmm. So I, I think I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Why do you think this topic is so important for customer success professionals? So I think it's really important because there's a lot of one benefits to having an early warning system in mm -hmm. place. Um, so there's a ton of benefit to doing that, but there's also this kind of piece of what do I need to do prior to implementation? Um, and that, I think, is something that people maybe forget about a little bit at I times. I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because there's 
a lot of things that you need to do prior to buying. And then there's things that you need to do as you're implementing or even prior to, to implementing. Um, and it's they're really important steps because otherwise that will slow down completely the deployment of right. your success in using a system like this. And that wastes your resources, it wastes time. And what's the worst part of that is, is that the vendor then is sometimes looked at an unsuccessful platform and that's not the case. It's right. called being prepared and being prepared early. Yeah, well, and I, I see companies sometimes getting into this a little bit earlier than they should and then they're spending a lot of money not on just the platform, but on the process of trying to get it set up correctly, and yeah. it, it's they're just not quite ready to go. So let's get into some of the details. So let's say you're a customer success leader who's considering adopting a customer success platform. What should you do to get the project started, and what should you make sure you have in place before you buy something? Yeah, absolutely. So it's funny, when we got started with this process, and this was buying the customer success platform, we actually had a project initiation document in place. Okay. But what did that, what did that mean? And I, ha I have templates of this. I've shared this with other people in the space. Um, but essentially, it's know why you're buying a software, first and foremost. Yeah, um, I can that's always really a good idea. <laughs> I can explain that further, but you really need yeah. to understand what you're trying to get out of it mm -hmm. first. Um, and, and I'll go into a little bit more detail, but then you also need to think about who's the team that's going to benefit or be affected or impacted by this. It's really important to understand that. Um, because you need those stakeholders at the table as you're one deciding mm -hmm. on this and that they're aware that this is happening and how it's going to impact them. And you want them to be part of that decision-making process for buy-in. Um, for sure, yeah. So I think that those are two really important things. Um, I do think that you need to know what processes and operations that you have and you need to have those defined and I'll go into that. You definitely need to know about your data and um, you also need to make sure that you have the internal and or external resources to make sure that this platform can be successful and your team can be successful on it. So when I did this for search metrics, I put together a project initiation document that mapped out what the project was, what the purpose of it was for, uh, what success looked like, all the teams that it impacted, how we'd manage this project, before buying it, uh -huh. during implementation, and then also after we implemented, how are we gonna keep it going, and who needed to help in before and after. So it really actually helped to put some parameters around what were we going to be doing within this company and who needed to be involved. Mm -hmm. So a really good example of maybe people that, that maybe a customer success leader might not think about um, our legal team needed to be involved because we are part of a global company. And yes, like they sign documents and um, mm -hmm. you know sign on to different contracts. But it was really important for us because as a global company, you have to be very careful about the data that you pull in for customers in your European areas. There's very different data protection laws in place there versus in America. And so, uh, yeah, I wouldn't have thought of that. Not a lot of people do. And to be honest, I had no idea really until I started this project and it became something where our lawyers brought it up and we had to get our data protection officer involved. And so who knew implementing mm -hmm. something like this for making our team more efficient um, would have to involve like our, our lawyer and our legal team. Um, so 
again, it's kind of one of those things when you put together a project initiation document, it helps to define out the parameters of the project and why you need it. And just for a couple reasons of why, for me, it was really important. Um, I wanted to operationalize our processes. I wanted consistent process for various segments of customers we wanted. Mm -hmm. I wanted to trigger those in an automated way amongst our internal teams. So everyone was on the same page and we had consistency in that. I also wanted to visualize the health of our customers um, and we needed this visually um, globally across our, our teams because we had an America team and an EMEA team mm -hmm. and of course the executive level we wanted to see that combined together. Uh, and then I also wanted to be proactive and I wanted to drive impact. So we wanted a system that not only visualized the data, but again, when we trigger these different data points, it allows us to actually take action early and mm -hmm. not after the fact. Yeah, that's great. It sounds like you put a ton of planning into it and that really helped you get off on the right foot. So thinking about our listeners, let's say they're ready to go. They've got good data. They've got the components of the health score figured out. Um, what should they then start looking for in a customer success platform? That's a great question. So I definitely think beyond a health score, it's knowing your processes um, mm -hmm. beforehand. So just before you make a, a decision, make sure that you do have your, your processes in place as well. Building a health score is definitely part of it. Um, and you want to make sure that the platform that you get can incorporate all of the different data components that you make up your health score with. But if you don't have your <laughs> processes mapped that out, that's another piece where data would need to be used to trigger some of those processes. Right. And so if you don't have those up front, you won't be able to evaluate a platform well <laughs> because you might be missing some of the things that you actually need that are critical. Maybe certain integrations from different systems that you didn't think about. So for me, when I think about um, what you should be looking for in a platform, um, I looked for things like the ability to trigger actions proactively. I looked for the ability to um, integrate um, historical data um, because those were pieces that um, I wanted to bring into our platform and start to work with right away and to look at patterns. The other thing that I looked at uh, within um, different vendors was the ability to ask, could they help me with putting that data in the right format? Okay, so, so some analytics support? It's, it's not necessarily analytics support, but essentially, and another area that I think people forget about is on the development side, when it comes to having data from different systems, all of that data comes out typically in different formats. Got it. And so that how format, to organize that. Yeah, and yeah. how do you get that then into another system? Mm -hmm. So sometimes, for example, um, like I know Strike Deck has a natural integration with Salesforce. So that's, that's great. There's a two-way feed of data there. But let's say, and as do most people, you want to bring in usage data. Well, your usage data is probably in your system, whatever that is, that could be in multiple databases. And it's a, probably in a different format than maybe the platform has connectors for. So I was really looking for, and I knew we uh -huh. had a complex uh, backend system for our data, search metrics data at the time. Where were people going, what they were doing? That was all in our own internal system. So it was really important for me to find a vendor that could work with us on that because we did not have the internal development resources to build that brand new. Mm -hmm. We had to figure out a way, how are we going to be able to work with a vendor that could help us with maybe a more complex data set than 
uh, other vendors would be able to. So I, I mean, those are things that I looked for in a system or people who could essentially based on my goals, what kind of vendor could match that and um, could help me actually get to the implementation process quicker. Can I ask, what was your buying process like? Did you go through a lot of demos with people? Did you did you have a lot of interviews with potential vendors? How, how did you go about doing that? I think a lot of people haven't even started this or haven't done it before, and so it might be useful for them to hear about. Yeah, absolutely. So first and foremost, after putting together like our project initiation document, really thinking through the things that were most important, and then kind of categorizing that in a, I did it like a one to five scale of like what was important, what was not. And I have a lot of this documentation. So if people want copies of it, I can totally make it available. generous of you to share that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I have just templates that I think are, that are helpful. Um, When, when, once we had those pieces together, then it was about reaching out to different vendors or vendors had reached out to us about wanting to match up. So Mm -hmm. for me, I actually had guidance of what I was looking for for them. So the demos for me were not just seeing the capabilities of software. And prior to my leading that project, Mm -hmm. we did just see a lot of demos of stuff. And Mm -hmm. it's great. When you have all the data in there, all of them look like the same. They all work. They all. (laughs) And I think that that's one of the things that a lot of people face in software today generally is that hey, they all provide the same function. It looks like they're all going to solve my problem, so I'm just going to pick one, or I'm going to pick the cheapest one, or I'm going to do this. That's why you have to ask the right questions that are related to the goals that you have. When I started digging down, especially into the technical capabilities of some of these uh, vendors, I realized very quickly we were going to have to do a lot, a lot of heavy (laughs) lifting to get this in place, or we were going to have to use a third party to be able to convert our data into something that would be usable. So a lot of vendors are gonna be able to show you a lot of bells and whistles or show you their great reporting, but it doesn't mean anything if you can't get all the data that you need from your processes and the way that you track customer health into the platform. And that's something, again, that if you don't ask those right questions, it's not gonna be shared. Or if you don't have the right people on your side to vet that, because I am not an engineer, I needed our data science team or developers on the call to be able Mm -hmm. to say, yeah, what they're talking about is that we have to build all of this. I mean, that's essentially what it came down to. And so that was a really, that was really eye-opening. And it was funny with Strike Deck, I think I, I wrote a tweet about this like that same day because I was in Berlin with my, the data science team and our developer team and we had just gotten off a call with them having a technical call. And when we had worked with another vendor prior to that, the data science team looked at me and just said no. And with this call with Strike Deck, they got off and they were actually smiling. They said they know what they're talking about. Uh, they clearly definitely understand data. We And they knew that. And of course, you know, here coming from the background, mm-hmm. not being as technical, I just was, I mean, I was, I was cheering because it's the first time I'd heard that. So I was super excited. Um, and again, it goes back to the importance of getting the right people around the table to ask the right yeah, questions definitely. as you evaluate. Yeah. Okay. So let's say you're a customer success leader and you've gone through that process and you've gone through vendor selection and you've picked a vendor that you want to work with. You bought the system and now you're ready to get going on this project. So what do you do? <laughs> <laughs> No, so that's Please a great, tell us what you do. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great question. So uh, first and foremost, 
don't boil the ocean. You need to get to an MVP state. Okay. Um, so that's like a minimum viable product, as, as people will say, state. Um, you have to define what that looks like for you. Um, but essentially, the way I looked at it was I need, I need to make sure that when I roll this out, I have a rollout date and I can get to this kind of minimal state to just get it in the hands of those that, that, that need it, the, mm-hmm. the CSMs on our team. And so what I did was figuring out what do I want people to do today? And it was kind of, can I get people doing the processes that they do today in the system? So that was kind of like, all right, let me just get the basics down there. Mm -hmm. I know the system is capable of a million other things and all of this automation, all the great stuff that's going to save me time. But first, I just want to make sure that I can do the basics in there. So like, let's get that built. And that's built on the foundation of really good data. When I started implementation, it was about alignment of data. So first, you start pulling in data into the systems from your various systems and you start to see it all visualized in one place. Mm -hmm. And that's really cool because now you can actually check, is the data valid? You can't possibly have good adoption without really good data because Mm -hmm. people will say this this platform isn't right, I need to go back to my my other systems to be Mm -hmm. able to validate it, no. So you have to have good data. And then what I did, like as that was happening, I set an end date for which I am am launching this out to -hmm. our audiences. I put an end date on there because you could spend, I mean, during implementation, so much time spinning in circles, trying to make something perfect. Right. Again, it's that MVP. It could be six months or a year. Yes. Yeah. And here you are paying for it and no one's using it. And right. And you could, you could iterate forever trying to make this, that, or that, and pulling in all this extra data and, you know, trying to get to the end state that maybe you see a year from now and then never actually launch it to the people who need it today. Mm-hmm. So I set a very specific end date for us of getting this just rolled out. And so I um, I think when you set that kind of rollout date, it forces you to actually work and get to the MVP stage and then think about other phases that you can add in. So I thought about how can CSMs do their job every day? What and how can I visualize that? So the thing is, is I thought about CSMs need to see their individual customer set. They need to see their health. They need to see the segment they're part of, the renewal date. They maybe need to, the ability to take notes. This is pretty pretty simple. Yeah. <laughs> and then building out some standard process, right? We all know that there's renewal and onboarding plays. Um, yep. We have maybe, you know, um, quarterly business reviews or other kind of common things that, that happen. Let's build out those basics maybe a couple differences by segment, but if I have those processes mapped out and I can get them in there, I can get the right data, I can also test it, it's simple, it's there, the, the CSMs have something to start working with. And then I just wanted to make sure that those visualizations could roll up. Because yeah. as the manager, I can't go into everybody's every single account, but I do need to make sure that there's some kind of visualization that allows it to roll up. And then what I started thinking about was, okay, if I can get to that point, then I can roll this out and let people start to test it. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of phase one. And phase two, I can start thinking about the more complex stuff. Mm-hmm. So I would recommend to people, don't think about perfection. Think about what can I get in place to get people to start using at a very basic level that they weren't doing before. And that's it. And then you can always iterate um, after that. Yeah, I love your idea of sort of putting an end date on it because I think, 
everybody knows that you'll fill up as much time as you have. And so if you don't let yourself go just on indefinitely, then you'll kind of force yourself into doing that minimum viable product and have something that's out there quicker, which I think helps get your team engaged too. And I wanted to ask you about Mm -hmm. that as well. So in your experience, what's the best way to roll out a CS platform to your customer success team so that you ensure adoption? Sure. I think um, this definitely stems back to my strategic communication (laughs) roots. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I always had a communication strategy, and it essentially is this. You need to let people know what it is, why it matters, how it affects them, when it affects them, who they can go to for more information, and basically that sets the expectations. So really, it was always, you know, the five W's and then the how. (laughs) It's think about those. And that's where that's how you kind of build out this rollout plan or that that kind of communication strategy. When you think about those things, then you realize, okay, this is what it is, this is who it affects, this is when, and and then you start to answer those questions, and it becomes mm-hmm. easier to actually set something up to actually roll out to everybody. Um, so I before I rolled it out to our internal audience, I, I thought about what do I need pre-rolling out. So if we just put this out there. I have to think about who are people going to go to after I put it out there, yeah. right? So as you start thinking about, again, those five W's, you start to think, okay, these are the things I need prior. So for example, I mm-hmm. needed a process in place so people could give information back. Because I knew that in rollout, when you roll out a minimum viable product kind of thing, there's typically things that are There will be wrong. feedback. <laughs> yes, there's always feedback. Yeah. And so I, I, I realized immediately, like, okay, I need something for post rollout that's going to allow people to give feedback. Um, so then as I started thinking through that, I realized, you know what, I probably need more than just myself in this. Maybe I need to get a couple people prior in the platform, giving me some feedback, becoming those champions so they can be kind of the train the trainer. So then all of a sudden, as I'm like thinking about how my rollout plan, setting that date, thinking about how I'm going to roll this out, I started to realize the things I needed in place mm-hmm. prior to rolling it out. And so um, I thought that that was really helpful when I rolled it out to Strike Deck on the day of, like my mm-hmm. set date. I really set expectations that I didn't expect people to be using Strike Deck right then and there from that point forward. What I set expectation was, hey, we have this platform. It's now live for you. Right. I want you to go in there and spend some time playing with it. Tell me what's wrong. And like, here's the feedback process to send in questions or concerns. We want to be able to test the system. We want to break it. (laughs) We want to understand what works and what doesn't because while I did a lot of data checks and we did a lot of things, there were probably things that that we missed. And that's a good thing and we want to get that feedback. And then also, there were things that we knew because of our own data that weren't going to work in the platform. And it was good to have that because we could almost create this ongoing Q&A list of stuff that was happening with our platform. Um, and so I set these expectations that this is the 1.0 version. This is this is what you can expect over the next 30 days. Mm-hmm. And then basically told them what the plan was over the next like 60 to 90 days, like what our next phases would be. Um, and I think that was really helpful. So it's again, it's about setting expectations for people, figuring out what does that first phase look like? What does that second phase look like? And telling everybody that this is not the end-all, be-all yet. Right. We're getting there. It's an yeah. iterative process, I suppose. Well, that kind of leads into my next question, which is around the fact that the CS platform is never really done. 
like they they just kind of evolve really yeah, forever um, because your customer base is evolving and your um, way of interacting with your customers is evolving and should be evolving. It's it's part of how we're all improving as customer success professionals. And so um, how often should you be getting back into a system like that and reviewing the setup to make sure it's giving you an accurate health score? I think that's such a great question. And I think it's almost the answer to your question is in the question, but it is, it is a constant iteration. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when you consider and you get a platform, you need to have dedicated people to manage it and maintain it. Mm-hmm. And everyone is always analyzing and looking at the data, but you need that feedback system in place so that you can tell people whether that data is matching what they know to be true or is that matching some of those lagging KPIs, which is the churn rate. Like, is it actually working the way you would expect it? Is it that early warning system? Or do you need to make those adjustments? So I wrote a blog about things that you should consider before implementing customer success software. And someone commented about customer maturity being part of the health score, for example, which is so Mm -hmm. important. It kind of speaks to exactly what you're talking about. As customers mature or change, you'll notice that your health score probably doesn't maybe align up with exactly what that customer is. I mean, that's why segments exist, for example. Yeah, yeah. So these are things that I, I, I think your platform is never done. It's you have someone who owns these pieces and they're constantly keeping the team up to date about what's going on around the metrics. It's a place to visualize what's happening. So again, you can take customers or you can take your processes to a different level to continue to kind of manage this health score for customers over time. Um, and provide the right actions for that customer um, with the right team at the right time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really interesting. Um, I, I think that my biggest advice is not the, the how, how often should I update or how often should I do this. It's more of find someone yeah. who can own this for the long term um, or a team of people even over time. If you have a big enough customer base that really need to own it, they might, they might own a segment of your customers because a lot of people... I've heard of organizations, especially as you grow and scale, they'll have different divisions focused on a certain set of customers. Mm-hmm. Well, then you need a divisional lead on the operation side to, yeah. to help you with the processes around that, the metrics around that, and are you able to get the information you need to take action? Well, that was going to be one of my questions. Do you think this is a function, um, this maintenance function that should live in customer success operations or in company operations or maybe in both depending on your organization or probably, where should that person live? Yeah, it's a it's a great question. I think it probably totally depends on the company. Okay. Um, but I think that it's so closely aligned with the success of your customers, it probably mm-hmm. should sit within the customer success department. Okay. We I sat within the customer success department at Search Metrics. I would have okay. an operations person here, but what's really interesting is they have to be cross-functional and work yeah. across different areas. Um, but I see it as a separate, a, a role within um, customer success, absolutely. Okay. So before we wrap up, would you be willing to share with the listeners some things that you tried um, that failed? Because it's always fun to hear about people's failures. <laughs> Um, but also, I think um, you can really help other success leaders if you can kind of steer them away from the stuff that didn't work very well that you tried. Yes. So as we were implementing 
we were also redoing our customer success segmenting and process. Oh, wow. You had a lot going on. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so this was really interesting because we were aligning our processes globally and our segments globally to make sure that obviously our customers, no matter where they were, got the same level of treatment, you know, across across the world instead of in one region doing one thing and the other regions doing the other. But we were doing that at the same time that we were implementing the software, which was kind of a nightmare. Like when I say That's a make lot. sure that your processes are mapped out, you should do that. And the reason why is because here we were defining these processes and they would change and we'd do all this. And the problem is, is here I am working with you know, strike deck and we're pulling data and then I would have to turn around and say, oh, I forgot to grab this point or up oh, like we need to go and do this. We need to go do that. And so it was just a constant back and forth. And that was not on on working with strike deck. They were amazing in being able uh -huh. to respond to that. It was us not knowing what data points we needed to grab to be able to execute on those processes or plays. And, and so again, do not, do not do that. Have that beforehand so you know what data points you need to trigger those types of processes. That's great advice for everybody, I think. Um, and then I guess the other kind of pieces of advice I would say is don't promise the world. Um, and what I mean by that is, I, I mean, I think I did an okay job of setting expectations. I'm a very enthusiastic person. So, and I see the vision of where those things go. So I'm sitting there saying, oh, it's gonna do this and this and this. And then I realize, but when I roll this out, I realize it's not gonna do this, this, and this. And oh, so, so you oversold you, it a little. So you have to always reset those expectations. So yes, like in some ways I do think that I probably oversold it. And it doesn't mean that it doesn't do those things. So it's actually the capabilities are all there, but you have to set expectations with, what people are going to get at, at what time. They're not going to get everything that first iteration. In the 2.0 or 3.0 version, they will have all of those capabilities, but it yeah. takes time to get there. Again, that iterative process. Um, and then I guess like this goes back to some of the other points I made, but just make sure that you don't, um, that you don't, get a platform without understanding the data you need to pull for what purpose and that you you are very aware of how that data gets into the vendor platform. Okay. Ask those questions like exactly how does my usage data get into your platform? And in other words, what resources are you telling me I need to have on my end? Or what resources do you provide and how much is that going to cost me? Because those are hidden things that if you don't understand, you might not even have the budget to afford to get it in there. Yeah, yeah. That's a really good tip, I think, for everybody. Last question, and this is the one that we ask on every podcast. What do you see as the biggest trend in customer success? And it doesn't have to be related to this, even though I know you're super passionate about <laughs> it. Um, what, what do you think that trend is right now and why? Um, so this is a great question. Um, and I don't know if it's a trend. But I really believe, and I think this is going to happen across all business functions, and I've, I know I, we've talked about it before, um, but I really do think that using predictive behavior and analytics is gonna be the everyday part yeah. of customer success. And so what I mean by that is, um, 
using data to predict out how people will act before they're acting that way. So in some ways we say that, oh, we want this early warning system, we wanna do this. It's actually just acting in real time, maybe mm -hmm. versus like reactive, but it's not technically proactive. Proactive is actually, I know you will be doing this in the future and I'm acting before that happens. Right. So at Search Metrics, I use their our data science team uh, to build out a predictive behavior score. So we have a ton of data and they basically were able to build out this predictive score of how people would behave two months in the future. Now there's many factors that's that the dream, that, right? <laughs> that is the dream. Like that's what everybody's yeah. trying. I think that's what everybody would want to get to. But wouldn't you use that in every part of business? I mean, you'd want to know what's the likelihood of a customer converting for a sale before you go after that person at all. Right. And so I see like this being a phenomena, of course, in in marketing and sales and everything. But certainly, it's helpful in customer success as well. So I think data scientists have a very, very good longevity when it yes, comes to when you. it comes to job security, <laughs> um, because you. I think that that's the next big thing, and and people should be looking for that because that's how we're going to be able to really help our customers in advance. I mean, look at how Google does it. You probably get. Um, recommendations about ads or things based on your prior looking or Facebook does it all the time. I mean, they're already using yeah. pr predictive algorithms to basically... B2C companies, you know, a lot of the bigger ones yeah. have already nailed this and they've been doing this for years. Exactly. And I think B2B companies, you and I talked about this the other day, are still catching up yes. on this. And I think customer success in a lot of ways is going to be leading the charge on this front. And oh, absolutely. It's exciting. That's, yeah, so I find that to be like one of the coolest things and then to think how that will change so much of what you do. Um, and then it's funny, I also think too, I think a lot of customer success stuff will become so much more personalized because of that. Like, so while people have segments, they do general things, I think people start to realize just like people, companies, need more almost personalized help and behavior, at least that feel of personalized help. Right. And so I think that that will be a trend too where segments, and I don't, I don't know, but this is just kind of how I think of it. Like, yeah, sure, in a segment, a general segment, but everything will be personalized and tailored to you. Like look at Amazon. Mm -hmm. I get tailored things to me. My, my, I, can, I can have someone who's my age, who, who has all the demographics and all the same things, my segment, uh -huh. and she's getting something completely different because of behavior You're patterns. a segment of one for them. That's right. Yeah. So I, it's, I wonder if that's where things will head, like segment of one. I don't think we're, we have the capacity right now to do that based on doing everything kind of manually and stuff, but I think, you know, platforms and everything will advance to the point that we actually, yeah, do have like segments of ones within B2B companies. I think that's the dream. It's very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> I love talking about it. you and I could talk about it all day, but um, I really appreciate Lauren, you joining us on the podcast today. It was great to get your advice on how to select and set up a CS platform. And I'm sure all of the listeners really appreciate uh, your willingness to share your personal experience and your passion about that topic. So thank you very much. Well, thank you, Kristen. I had really such a fun time chatting with you and being on this show. And I really hope that this advice and information is helpful to people. Um, I do have more information about anything that I've discussed. People can connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, I also have a blog. It's called The CS Playlist. Um, and it's on Strike Deck's website um, as well. And then people can also connect with me on Twitter. It's lcostella7946. 
Um, so I'm happy to share and happy to stay connected to folks and continue to share good ideas because I don't know where <laughs> it's going, but I certainly want to be part of um, helping to make customers' experiences awesome. And I think that takes a lot of a combination of really great minds to do that. Well, thank you very much for being willing to share all of that. I yeah. appreciate it. Thank you. I also want to thank our sponsors, Strike Deck and the Success League. To learn more about Strike Deck, you can visit strikedeck.com and follow Strike Deck on LinkedIn or at Strike Deck on Twitter. To find out more about the Success League, please visit our website, thesuccessleague.io, and follow the Success League on LinkedIn or at TSL Customers on Twitter. To get all of the latest episodes, please subscribe to Strike Deck Radio on iTunes or SoundCloud. And finally, thanks for listening to our podcast, and we hope you'll join us next time. Thank you.